listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. So we had a uh, guest speaker come to one of our classes in elementary school. I I truly, I, I don't know why he was there or what topic he was speaking on, but I do remember is the haunting words that he told the entire elementary school class. He said, the downfall of America will be the breakdown of the family. Now, as a kid, like, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I knew it sounded scary to have someone tell you the, about the downfall of a place that you live. Maybe that's why I remembered that sentence for so long. And as I got older, I would think about what that man told us. And there were certainly times that um, I thought it just sounded a little old-fashioned. Um, it couldn't be, like, that simple. America has... So many layers of issues, just like every country. But so to put the the blame on the family, it seemed a little like old-fashioned propaganda to me. And maybe he was just a little out of touch with real issues. And then I got older and began to see it. And once was uh, common and normal among family units, began not to to be so much. These are statistics from the census. From last year, there were 37 million one-person households in 2021, or 28% of all the U.S. households. And then in 1960, single-person household represented only 13% of all households. The number of families with their own children under 18 in the house declined over the last two decades. In 21, or in 2021, 40% of all U.S. families lived with their own children compared to 44% in 2011, and then 48% in 2001. In 21, 34% of adults age 15 and over had never been married, up, to 20, up from 23% in 1950. The estimated median age to marry for the first time was uh, 30.4 years old for men and 28.6 for women in early 2021, up from ages 23 and 20, respectively, in 1947. I think I began to watch um, all of this slowly unfold during my years serving in student ministry where more, of, more than half of my youth group came from unchurched homes. And uh, like so to have a student in my student ministry with a mom and a dad that are still married, that love each other and follow Jesus, Well, that was wildly rare to see. So it's of no surprise that we are watching our country unravel under the demise of family. And if I can press even further in that issue, it's it's of no surprise that younger generations are wanting the government to become their parents because they don't have or never had real parents. And I would make the case that the unraveling of Israel was rooted in the demise of godly 
family unit that demanded a government to be created to fix all of their problems. So this series that we began last week, it's called Kingdom Hope, but not a kingdom of hope in this world, um, but a kingdom of hope that only Christ can usher in, a kingdom of hope that's filled with godly families that live differently because they, they realize that their citizenship is actually in heaven. A reminder from Philippians 3.20 Starting in verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So to be a godly family in 2022 is wildly rare, and I promise it's not going to get any easier in 2023. So this morning, I want to show us three priorities of godly families as we continue in First Samuel, uh, really priorities that will impact us all, all of us. Priorities that we must rally around as a church, meaning like even if you don't have kids of your own, this message is still directed at you. Priorities that moms and dads must live by, priorities that single parents must give themselves to, priorities that grandparents and great-grandparents must stand on. So let me show us from God's word what a godly family actually looks like. We're going to finish 1 Samuel 1 today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Uh, if you don't have anything, it should all be in your bulletin. Uh, but before we study the text, let's pray together. Father, we come to hear from you. God, help us to hear from you. God, we, we did not gather to hear a pep talk on how to be a better dad. We did not gather to hear opinions on how to try harder to be a better mom. God, we, we, we want to hear what the word has to say. So God, teach us from uh, this narrative that was already mentioned this morning. Got a, a glimpse, a picture of a godly family and what that might look like for us today. God, help us to submit our hearts and our minds to the word. And, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Last week, we began our journey through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And as mentioned, First and 2 Samuel are really just one book in the Hebrew Bible called Samuel. We're introduced to several characters in this narrative that will be important to remember as this study continues. So there's this man named Elkanah. He had two wives, Penina and Hannah, if you remember from last week. Penina, she had many sons and daughters, but Hannah was barren. And Penina, the rival, she would like relentlessly mock Hannah for the cards that she was dealt. Hannah was angered and, and broken and ran to the temple to pray, and she prayed, and she wept, and she made a vow to the Lord in 1 Samuel 1.11. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. So as she's praying, Eli, the priest, he, he sees her in distress. And rather than showing compassion on her, 
in the temple. He believes her to be like some emotional drunk that has wandered into the house of the Lord. And Hannah, I would say in the most respect, respectful way, defends herself um, and her intentions. And Eli realizes this and blesses her and her request, and then she goes away. And after the family returns home from worship, well, Hannah gets pregnant with a healthy baby boy that she named Samuel. So as we pick up the narrative today, we are seeing the fulfillment of prayers from Elkanah and his wife, Hannah. We will see an inside picture of a godly family that's, that's really fulfilling the vows that they made to the Lord. This is the story of Samuel being given to the Lord. I'll, I'll start reading in uh, 1 Samuel 1, verse 21. It says, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she, did not, for she had said to her husband, as, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, well, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, the ephah of flour and of skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they, they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said to Eli, O, Lord, o my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman. If you remember, I'm the woman that was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I'm going to give you three priorities of godly families. Three priorities of godly families that we can pull from the narrative of Elkanah and his wife, Hannah. Priority one is this, if you're a note taker, is godly families prioritize worshiping the Lord. Verse 21, it sets the scene for us as we begin that every year Elkanah would go up to Shiloh to offer to the Lord a yearly sacrifice and then to pay his vow. I mean, you can see that in verse 3 from last week. So this year would be no different from the other years. He has traveled to pay a vow, and the vows were, were and are very serious for the people of God. Like, we, we really don't even know the context of the vow that Elkanah made to the Lord. Very likely, I'd say it concerned his new son Samuel. But regardless, like, it, it was serious to fulfill this vow. You can see this in Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will, will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. However, this specific trip would be a little different. Uh, if you look at verse 2, it shows us that Elkanah, he's going to be traveling alone. Hannah tells her husband, she says, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. 
See, um, Hannah didn't want to stay at home because she didn't want to make this trip to Shiloh with a young kid. Hannah didn't want to stay at home because she was afraid of traveling with a baby. Hannah stayed at home because she knew that when she finally went to Shiloh, she would have to leave her baby boy in Shiloh with Eli the priest. Simply, Hannah worshipped the Lord for sure. She had a legitimate reason not to travel to Shiloh for that worship of the Lord that year. But regardless of what we see in the pattern of Scripture, we see that this passage, in this passage, is that worship is still the priority. I guess the question, and I'll have some questions along the way for, for each priority, but is, is worshiping the Lord a priority for your family? How easy it would have been for Alcana to stay at home with his wife. I mean, after all, like, they had a lot going on. It's a busy season, Right? Everyone would understand if he just wanted to stay at home, to relax, be with his family. But let me be very direct this morning. Godly families are led by godly men that make worshiping the Lord a priority. Elkanah is the leader of this family unit, and there's no stopping him. There's no stopping him from going to worship the Lord at Shiloh to make his yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. He's a godly man of his word, a godly man of priority. And over the years of ministry, um, I've seen men really struggle with like, how to be a godly leader in their house. So many guys, I think they just feel like, they feel very uh, unequipped. So many church guys are married to godly women that I think honestly just know more about the Bible and theology to them. And I'm not saying men shouldn't work at studying their Bible. It is work. Godly men should, should not know more about their fake fantasy football team than they do God's word. Um, I say that just I lose every year in fantasy. I'm just using that as an excuse. But um, what I am saying to the men of this church, really anyone that would listen, is that your godly leadership is rooted in your godly priorities. Specifically, your priority to be present in the local gathering of the saints, to worship the Lord, to pay your offering, to serve those around you. That's a challenge specifically to men that claim to be followers of Christ, to be led by priorities, to be present and active among the people of God. This whole message is a bust if you can't see that healthy churches are filled with healthy families that are led by godly men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Guys, if you love Jesus, grow up and be a man that makes worshiping the Lord prioritized on your schedule. The church needs it. Your family needs it. My father, um, I'd say my father didn't grow up in a home that, that taught him a lot about the Bible. Um, my father probably couldn't tell you the difference between uh, ecclesiology and eschatology. 
Uh, I'll tell you, my father is still a godly man, and he took us to church every single week, and he didn't need to memorize Wayne Grudem's systematic theology to be a leader in our family. Every year, I think I grow increasingly thankful for just his consistency, just, just being consistent to prioritize the local church and my family. Godly families prioritize worshiping the Lord. Three priorities of godly families. Let me give you the second one. Godly families prioritize the fulfillment of the word. The fulfillment of the word. Listen to what's said in verse 3 from Alcana, because it's important. I think it has many important implications for us. Alcana said to his wife, he says, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Now, we know this guy isn't a perfect husband. You saw that last week. But what he says in those few words are, are incredibly helpful. Being the godly man of the house doesn't mean making all the decisions. Alcana loves his wife, and he knows that his wife loves the Lord, that she made the call. She made the call not to go to Shiloh so soon. She made the call to stay at home for several years to wean her child. And Alcana not only respected that decision, he supported it. Godly husbands support their godly wives when they make decisions. And I think that's even more remarkable when you consider Numbers uh, chapter 30. It says this in verse 10. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard of it and said nothing to her and did not oppose her, then, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. That was the situation that they found themselves in. But verse 12 says, But if her husband makes them null and avoid on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand, and her husband has made them void, and the Lord will forgive her. Alcana had every Old Testament biblical right to overrule Hannah's vow to the Lord to give up Samuel at the temple. Elkanah could have easily heard the vow and said, no, that's not what we're going to do with our kid. I'm not going to give up my child. I want this kid at home. I'm sorry, Hannah, um, but what you promised is not going to happen. It's just too extreme. And he had every biblical right to say that to his wife, and he would have been right in doing so, and yet he didn't. He supported his wife's decision and vow to the Lord, even when that vow radically changed their family forever. See, just because you and I are right in doing something doesn't mean we have a right to do it. Godly families see that and operate in that. We know Alcana is the leader of this family, and yet he supported his wife and a life-altering decision. I think we can all learn something from that. 
But what was said next is, is really what hits me, because Alcana's support of his wife is directly tied to the second half of what he says in verse 23. Only may the Lord establish his word, is what he says. That is the heart of a godly, godly decision-making and godly families. Whatever decision is made, the priority is to see the word of the Lord established. Again, the question, how, like how do you make decisions as a family? How do you make decisions even as an individual? Often we make decisions based on our own selfish desires. Often like it's just in the heat of the moment. Often it's people pleasers. Often when we're just like we're just trying to live out a dream that we've always had for ourselves. Often as reactionary to whatever's happening around us. And I'm going to make the biblical case that godly families make decisions based on the priority of the word being established. That's the primary goal. Meaning godly families don't use the Bible like as some rock to harm each other, but as a rock to which we stand on. We don't weaponize the Bible so we can get our own way. We don't weaponize the Bible so we manipulate those we love. Elkanah could have said to his wife, no, Hannah, like, don't you forget Numbers 30, 10 through 15. I make all the rules in this house. That's not what we're going to do. No, he says, you just do what seems best. Do what seems best for you. As long as the Lord establishes his word. Godly families know the Bible, live by the Bible, make decisions together according to the Bible. Or let me put it like this. Your family, and really every individual, is being pulled and led by some sort of worldview right now. Every person, it doesn't matter who you are. And maybe that's your childhood experiences. Maybe, maybe that's just your emotions in the moment. Maybe that's what you've read, something you've read online. Maybe it's an opinion from people on social media. But all of us are being pulled and led by some sort of worldview. And my plea is Elkanah's plea that we would be led by God's word. That's the priority of this church. That's the priority of a godly family. That's the priority of every godly man and godly woman. This is Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. And I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes, not utterly forsake me. Yeah, we desire a lot of things in this life, but we desire to see the Lord establish his word the most. Godly families prioritize the fulfillment of the word. And three, godly families prioritize the care of their children. I don't think Hannah was in a rush to head to Shiloh. Um, she knew what that would mean. She took time to care for Samuel. She didn't hurry the process. She's a good and godly mother that 
that prioritized the care of, of her child's physical needs. But the day would come. In verse 24, we see the fulfillment of the vow that Hannah made to the Lord. It was time to take Samuel to Shiloh. In verse 24, it says, when she weaned him, she took him up with her. Now, to be fair, that would be common practice for every firstborn male in Israel. Or at least the, the child or the family of God. That every firstborn male, child, belongs to the Lord. That's Exodus 13.2. And then that child would be redeemed at one month old for five shekels. That's Numbers 347. So this vow that, that Hannah gave to the Lord um, was common in some sense. But what was not common is that she made a Nazarite vow. Or simply that her child would permanently belong to the Lord. And so when she made that trip to Shiloh, she knew her baby boy wouldn't come back home with her. And I think, man, what a, what a gut-wrenching, surreal journey that would have been for mom and dad. And Hannah, she didn't, she didn't come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. The passage would go on to say that she had uh, one three-year-old bull to sacrifice she had about 50 pounds of flour. She had a full skin of wine, uh, meaning she, she actually had three times the amount needed for one sacrificial bull. So however you cut it or measure it, Hannah took it seriously that she's being, and being marked by generosity. This is a weighty and serious vow, and she didn't vow to just send like her kid to private Christian school. She has vowed to let Eli, the priest, raise her boy in the temple forever. She brought her only baby boy before Eli, who stood in her presence. Verse 26, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing in your presence, praying to the Lord, for this I prayed. The Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he's lent to the Lord. And it concludes that narrative that he worshiped the Lord there. To be fair, like there's disagreements on who's actually worshiping. Maybe it's Eli, maybe it's Elkanah, maybe it's Samuel, probably a little young. Um, maybe it's even Hannah. Regardless, the vows have been fulfilled. And Samuel is now under the watchful care and training of Eli. And all through this narrative, you... You see the priority of care for children, specifically Samuel. But what we need to be able to see clearly is that Elkanah and Hannah not only cared for the physical needs of their kid, but the greatest need of, of his heart. They gave him over to the Lord. So sure, godly families take care of the physical needs of their children the best way they can. The better, we better feed them, we better clothe them, we better protect our kids. But that doesn't make you a godly family. To be fair, you do those three things, you're pretty much on track as most families. It doesn't make you a godly family. No, pressing deeper, godly families care about their heart of their children before the Lord. And so I wonder, is that your desire for your children, your grandchildren, the children of this church? What is your greatest desire for your children? Are they good at sports? They get good grades, they get a decent job, they marry the right person, that they're 
smart with their money. And I'm not saying we don't care about any of those things. We should. We should care about those things. But if, if that's our list, if that's your list, we are only raising children with shallow faith that will sink and drown when they are shoved into the deep end of life. And I've watched, I've, seriously, I've watched that truth play out over and over again in families. It's my plea to families of East River Park and that all that might listen, prioritize the care of your children's heart before the Lord. Make a Nazarite-like vow. As long as my child lives, he or she belongs to the Lord. And I just want my three little kids to love Jesus and serve Jesus. As long as, as Ezra and Eliza and Judah live, they belong to the Lord. They're not mine. That's really hard. We've already talked about that during the communion devotional. Like, it's really hard to deal with sometimes. Now, those children belong to the Lord. Don't you want that for your kids or grandkids? Because if you seriously say yes, I promise it will change your priorities. And you will spend more time caring for their heart before the Lord than you do caring how successful they become in the world's eyes. For dads, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Godly families prioritize the care of their children. And that's a lot easier said than done. It's difficult just because it's difficult. It's also difficult because there are so many of us that have come from, from really busted up and broken families. So many of us came from homes that didn't love Jesus and those homes were filled with a lot of chaos and drama, but certainly not love. And to be sure, some of us came from religious homes that used Bible verses to wound and control, but it certainly wasn't a godly home. So this is difficult because some of us, like we're just starting from scratch. We're breaking cycles of dysfunction and sin. It's not easy to be a godly family when you've seen very few godly families. It's just difficult. Tuesday night, um, we had a pretty big meltdown with one of our children, and I won't tell you which kid it was, uh, but she does have blondish brown hair. And um, regardless, I, I, I certainly lost control in all of it. Um, I certainly raised my voice in anger. I don't, I don't think children realize that parents like get just as frustrated and confused as their children do, and I was furious, and so we finally settled things down and began to walk or uh, talk and one-on-one -on -one in her room, and she, she, told me, she told me about how all her friends get to do things that she can't, um, and that all her friends have smartphones, and that she's left out. Now, if I didn't mention it, she's only eight years old, which is insane. I said, well, that's not true. Name them. Like, tell me. Tell me. Which, which one of your friends has smartphones? Which, of course, she just started naming off like 10 people in her class. I don't think, it, I couldn't even tell you if that was true. It just certainly wasn't helpful for my argument. Um, and so I stopped her and I calmly reminded her 
like I have a thousand times. Look, this family is different. And you won't always have or get to do what your friends do. We love Jesus and this family, and we're going to be different. Then she hugged me, and she told me how wise of a father I am. And the last part isn't true. <laughs> isn't true. It's not. Um, here's the truth. The family of Elkanah and Hannah, they're a godly family. It was not a godly family by accident or by minimal effort. It took weeping and praying and vowing and obeying and traveling and sacrificing to become a godly family. It was priorities rooted in the word that caused the family to live differently. It's my summary point this morning. Godly families are just called to live differently. Just called to live differently. Becoming or being a godly family in 2022 means not getting to live like many other families. Even in Carter County. You're going to be a little different. Prioritizing the worship of the Lord. Prioritizing the fulfillment of the word. The care of your children. Not just the physical care of your children, but the heart of your child. It won't be easy, but to be fair, you're also not going to be alone in that effort. There may not feel like there's a lot of us left, but it's worth the effort. I think we've learned from the text that we need we need godly families and so if you want to talk about anything after the service or just need prayed for i'd love to do that but um let's pray and then we'll sing and then we'll be dismissed so